Hello and welcome to Three at the Back, the podcast from OptiPro. I'm Ryan Byron, I'll be your host for the next 40 minutes or so. So in this episode, we're going to look at how data can be integrated within an overarching playing philosophy, how it influences tactical decisions and player personnel. We'll be looking at how data can be used to identify players that suit particular systems. To do this, I've set our two guests a bit of a challenge today. They've both picked a playing philosophy and have chosen an 11 that best suits that. Obviously, they've used data to inform these decisions. The rules were relatively simple. You pick from Premier League teams, omitting the top six, and you're only allowed one player per team. Obviously, in recruitment, teams face challenges regarding price, availability, um, even purchasing multiple players from the same club is something that rarely happens. So we introduced the one player per team rule to try and um, illustrate that compromise is sometimes needed, and it happens when, when identifying players, when picking teams, and that side of things. We've also made sure that balance has been key. We don't want to see any sort of fancy football approaches where teams have got three strikers and Manuel Lanzini in a holding midfield role, so we won't be seeing any of that. These guys have, have both looked at it thoroughly. They both addressed it from the top down. So some players we also know have moved from Premier League teams to the top six. Um, because of they weren't there last year, they're still eligible for selection. Taking on the challenge are our two managers for this episode. First up, we've got Ben McCrill, head of Optopro. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ryan. You okay? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Looking forward to uh, to hearing your 11 and how you've gone about that. And joined, we've also got Tom Woolville, a data scientist. Hey, Ryan. How are you? You well? Yep, doing good. Uh, excited to hear uh, Ben's team. Good, good. As, as everyone will be. <laughs> <laughs> So to get things started, um, Tom, you can you can take the first question in terms of how have you approached this from the top down? What have your um, what your initial thought processes, your strategies? How did you decide to to take on this challenge? So I sort of set out to make a, a pretty simplistic uh, playing philosophy. Um, so I started off with a fairly common formation of four two three one, which uh, on paper a lot of sort of teams play, but uh, the style they actually play with that system differs team to team. And it was kind of a few sort of key building blocks that I wanted my team, my players to uh, have the skills to sort of perform the roles within that system. So I wanted a mixture of sort of a high build-up team, a team that's sort of comfortable passing the ball around, um, but also being able to move quickly at speed. So, you know, a team that uh, may be counter-attacking or moving up the field at pace, whether that's through passing or, or sort of carrying the ball. To do this, in part, I need to have sort of attacking fullbacks, um, and I need to have sort of a, a back four compromising of the two central defenders and the two sitting midfielders that are fairly comfortable uh, in possession. I've then gone for a more sort of creative attacking trio that sit behind the striker, that sort of create and uh, have their own chances. Uh, and then finally, sort of a very high volume striker who I can rely on for you know the best part of the season. So that's a, a fairly basic philosophy, but that's uh, hopefully a, a winning philosophy. Perfect. And Ben, how have you, how have you approached it? Um, so I sort of went about it in the same way that that I used to do as a technical scout, um, in that you always start with the football philosophy. You know, uh, analysts and, and technical scouts who, who might be listening to this, you know, you'll all be going through the same challenges where you have to understand your own philosophy. You have to understand the requirements of the manager in every position before you then go and apply that to data and, and identifying targets and, and fitting those around. So that that was kind of the same process here. My philosophy uh, was very much based on my um, influences from the managers that I work with, um, looking for uh, a certain structure, certain way of playing. You know, I think part of the brief was, you know, this team was to try and break into the top six yep. and to try and you know uh, win uh, a European spot. So 
you know, my philosophy at the clubs I was at was always about building a structure, building a team that um, knew what it was good at, and, and that every role had that specific uh, you know, requirement. So, so I went for a similar to a similar time, sort of four two three one, um, although maybe slightly different in that it would be different in possession, out of possession. You'd be looking for different things out of, out of certain players in. in uh, so we'll, when we get to those positions, we'll definitely talk about how you'd want different things out of players in and out of possession and how that shape might change. I was very much looking for two centre-backs who defend first. Um, so whereas Tom, maybe you've talked about you wanting your defenders to play out, obviously the majority of defenders in the Premier League can play out. That's why they get to that level. Um, but I was very much focused on the best defenders um, to play, to play centre-half. And then I would be looking for, um, in our fullbacks, that's where the width was going to come from. So I was looking for two really attacking fullbacks. And then from there, two centre midfielders who have slightly different roles in and out of possession. And then, probably similar to Tom, looking for th uh, three very creative players behind, behind the centre forward. But in my centre forward, I was looking for more of a link-up man, someone who was very much a target. Uh, for longer balls into into midfield, um, and you know someone who could link play, and then as I'm looking for high volume of crosses from my wide players, particularly my fullbacks, I was looking for a centre forward who could uh, stick it in with his head. Oh, nice crossing team, excellent. Okay, so let's get started. So Tom, tell us your goalkeeper and why you've chosen that keeper. Cool. So to start with a goalkeeper, I've gone for Jordan Pickford. So the reason for that was sort of looking at how he's performed as a shot stopper over the past couple of seasons. He's, he's done quite well. About Premier League average, uh, in terms of just sort of how many goals we'd expect him to concede versus how many he has conceded, which is, you know, fairly promising. He's quite young, so for this team, it, I felt it would be nice to have a mix of sort of young uh, and old players. Obviously, we're not, the um, the brief wasn't to essentially look at longer term, but I sort of had that at the back of my mind. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. For example, so Pickford's gone, obviously gone now to Everton, so that, you know, his career is going to be another 10, 15 years and that could be that, that sort of thing sorted. So, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And then also his distribution, um, as you know, if you sort of, you know, seen him actually plays, he's got a bit of a varied distribution. Um, it doesn't wholly uh, match up in the stats. He's got about 44% uh, pass accuracy. Obviously, pass accuracy is not the, the best um, sort of measure of how good a player is at, at distributing the ball. But sort of using one of the tools we have on, on ProVision to sort of look at the bins of where he's passed the ball to and where from. He seems to be fairly good at sort of long kicking. One thing that I'd asked him to do, I would ask of him to do in the system is sort of play it short and sort of be involved within build-up. And it's not something that he's done much of uh, at Sunderland, but it's something that, you know, from what I've seen him play, he's potentially able to fulfil that role. So, yep, my goalkeeper's uh, Jordan Pickford. Strong start. Ben? Yeah, well, good, uh, good place to start with the most expensive goalkeeper in recent history in the Premier League from... Tom, so <laughs> I, I've gone. Uh, I, I had a bit of a, a dilemma here with with the goalkeeper because the goalkeeper I wanted to select before I even looked at any data, it was pretty obvious who I wanted to go with. But I don't know whether Tom found this. When you go through the process, it was a case of being quite strategic about when you selected certain players. So the obvious thing is to start with your goalkeeper, pick your goalkeeper, then pick your centre halves, left backs, that kind of thing. But actually. I found because we only had one player per team, I had to bounce around a little bit and pick certain positions that were specific and that I wanted the most out of. And that's very much similar to a football club where 
you've got certain positions that you know are vital to the way your manager wants to play and so you have to prioritise them over others. So my dilemma was, do I pick this goalkeeper? Because that means I wouldn't be able to pick another player who I also liked in another position. But I went for Tom Heaton. Uh, obviously, uh, my Burnley history may have played some part in that. But I think, you know, for, from a data perspective, Tom playing in a team where he was under a lot of pressure. He was based 617 shots last year, which was the most in the league. A lot of shots. Which is a hell of a lot of shots. The stat that really jumped out to me, though, was he made a save every 5.1 minutes which is third in the league and goalkeepers like Courtois, Mignolet, Bravo, De Gea, Lloris were over nine minutes per save so it's a huge difference in the volume of work that Tom had to have last year and the fact that he came out of that with 10 clean sheets which was tied sixth in the league and to have 143 saves which was the most in the league and a save percentage of 75%. I think you've got to say that's in terms of the volume and the pressure that he was under. And obviously, I think most people will remember if they watched the game. Uh, I was actually at, at the game where there was uh, Burnley conceded 38 shots against Man United. Tom made 11 saves and they didn't concede a goal. That was one of the goalkeeping performances that I think stood out in last year. And with goalkeepers... Obviously, we know it's, there's a challenge to, to use data to evaluate them. And yeah. how, how much did data play a role? How much did your own experiences play a role? How did you, how did you look at that? And that, that applies both to you as well, Tom. I think with goalkeepers, you, you're right. Go, uh, assessing goalkeepers' ability with data is a challenge. But what's ironic is that actually goalkeepers, in my experience, were one of the best uh, players uh, playing groups at using data. They're a very analytical group as people. Um, and... You know, obviously they do a lot of video work and, and then data started to play a big role in that. So I, I found that it was interesting that goalkeepers themselves are very analytical and you know, we have some challenges around how you analyse goalkeepers and I think from Tom, you know, looking at Tom's data in more detail this year, it it's just incredible what he managed to achieve and, and if you think about what that contributed to, to Burnley's success last year and, and, and not only staying in the Premier League but, but being halfway up the table. Um, you could attribute that a lot to Tom. I think that from my perspective, <clears throat> sort of uh, scouting the goalkeepers, the similar process to how I've scouted the rest of the team, and it's all about, you know, in an actual recruiting, recruitment and scouting system, it's all about sort of using as much information as possible uh, from good sources. And realistically, it's removing that uncertainty that, you know, you don't know if a player can fulfill a role within your team or, you know, is he good enough for your league? So, you know, the more information you have, the better chance you have at sort of having a, you know, making more successful transfers. And therefore, you know, it's all types of data. So we've only gone through it down, uh, you know, objective uh, event data here, but obviously, but yeah, so, it, you know, if you were to do this for real, you'd actually be, you know, using more information. You'd be thinking about how you weight that information effectively to ensure that you're not sort of taking one uh, performance into account too highly versus others, things like that. So um, these are all things that were sort of kind of considered. Yeah, I guess that's sort of, stands for both goalkeepers and the, the other 10 players that we've picked on our teams. I think one of the interesting things about goalkeepers is that, and certainly some of the the more um, high-profile goalkeeping transfers that we've had over the last maybe three or four years in the Premier League, has been that challenge of waiting the goalkeepers that make a lot of saves because they're playing behind poor back fours and they're playing behind poor teams. And they make a lot of saves 
and so do you then overvalue that as a as a scout or, or as a as a um, an analyst or a technical scout or as a club when you're trying to sign a new goalkeeper? You know, if they come into a team where they're not going to make as many saves, but the saves they make have to be, you know, key saves. You're, you know, someone like David de Gea, Manuel Neuer. You know, I there was a quote years ago where Manuel Neuer said he's absolutely bored to death playing for Bayern Munich because he doesn't do a lot. But when he does do something, it has to be he has to make the save, and it's the same with De Gea now. You look at the two goalkeepers that have left Sunderland to go to Merseyside clubs. At the time, both goalkeepers were under a lot of pressure playing for Sunderland, having a lot of saves, a lot of action. And they're now going to go. To, they're going to two clubs. Mignolet went to Liverpool with a decent back four in front of him. You know, Everton are improving their back four rapidly, and it's always been a good back four. You know, are they going to be? We've seen with Mignolet's had his struggles over the last few years, but he generally has come always come back into the team and done well. And there's a lot expected of Pickford behind, you know, Ashley Williams and Jagielka and Michael Keane. So it'll be interesting to see whether they, you know, can step up and uh, uh, and you know have that quality when they only have to make big saves, not frequent saves. And that's a big challenge for scouts and, and clubs. Definitely. And. Before we before we move on to the next next position where we're going to go on to left backs, I just wanted to bring back something you said earlier, Ben. You mentioned that you had a couple of sort of key positions that you built your team around. Um, what yeah. were those positions? So the key positions for me were my fullbacks yeah. because I wanted width from them. I want a lot of crosses, and I was looking at things like recoveries for my fullbacks because you ask a lot of your fullbacks when they're going forward, but you need to be able to recover and you need to be Both able to ways, make. Yeah. Yeah, you need to be able to impact defensively. The other key position was my what I'd term my number six, my sort of deep line midfield player. Not only for being the guy who was probably going to break up play the most and cover those full backs when they're pushing forward, but also was the main guy to get the ball forward quickly and distribute it forward. Uh, and then my centre forward, who I didn't go for volume of goals, um, which people can criticise or not but I think in, in the, what I was looking for in centre forward was that guy who's going to link play and that actually you know when we get to attacking yeah. players I expect goals are going to come from those three behind as much as they are from the centre forward so. Perfect I suppose we're, that puts us nicely into one of your key positions so um, Ben can you tell us which left back you've chosen and why? I went for Patrick Van Arnold, uh, obviously uh, Palace uh, second half of the season and Sunderland at the beginning uh, Van Aanholt is an interesting one actually because I've got a bit of a history of, of looking at Van Aanholt as a, as a left back at some of the clubs I was at when he was um, particularly when he was playing uh, abroad from uh, from Chelsea and uh, you know a player that always had a high volume of crosses uh, historically always was very an attacking fullback and the question marks were always over him defensively but I think he, he certainly started to answer that towards the end of the season. So some of the stats that sort of jumped out at me for, from Van Aanholt was that he created 18% of Palace's chances last year, which for a fullback is is a pretty high number. And he was creating sort of at least one chance per 90, which again from a fullback is, is an impressive number. He had about one and a half crosses per 90, which isn't a massive amount, but he had a 34% accuracy. And if he's also creating a chance a game, you know that's that was really important for me, but he also ranked eighth in dual success um, and seventh in recoveries. So obviously has the ability to defend well and, and to um, not only um, 
be involved a lot but also to have that success um, I think one thing I should just clarify I think Tom you might have done the sim something similar is for all the position groups and all the rankings that I've done they were all for specific positions and they were all for players who played at least a thousand minutes in that position um, so if I'm talking about rankings and that's yeah. you know within that context I suppose Van Arnhol works quite nicely based on what you said you want your striker to do and what he how he was linking up with Benteke as well exactly yeah you know played in a system that was very much like that and I, I, that percentage of you know 18% of Palace's chances in the second half of last season came from Van Arnhol you know and looking at maybe the first half of the season where I know he scored a couple of goals for Sunderland as well from that getting inside the box and, and scoring um, from the from the touchline essentially yeah. you know his involvement in that area was, was really key um, he was one of the first players I looked at that was one of the first positions I identified excellent and Tom your left back left back for me I mean like Ben was saying sometimes you have to bounce around and pick players that uh, potentially would have liked other options um, just because how things have, have lied I originally sort of was considering Van Arnhol but I went with uh, Jose Holobas at Watford he was uh, involved quite a lot in sort of the uh, as a fullback in terms of sequences of play that ends in shots he had a fairly high expected assist value so essentially the the sort of quality of his passes he was making were were fairly decent in terms of how likely they they would become assists um, now part of this was down to him being on set pieces uh, he's a left footer so for me that was a nice sort of inclusion as well to have a, a left footed uh, set piece taker who also played at the back he was fairly durable as well last season so he played 38 sorry 32 out of the 38 games but part of the reason for his absence was that he accrued 14 yellow cards last year, which is obviously something I'd, I'd have to sort of sit him down and uh, get the, the sports psychologist involved. Um, yeah, I'm fairly fairly happy with that. It's uh, it's not the you know there wasn't a dearth of talent there, but um, I was you know I'll take all of that definitely. That, that yellow card statistics exceptional. That's yeah. sort of team you were picking here. Yeah. Um, and Tom, can you give us your right back as well, please? Yeah, uh, right back for me was fairly easy to pick. Uh, I've gone for Adam Smith from Bournemouth. Who, uh, yeah, Adam Smith. I mean, he was fairly high involved in, uh, in sort of again shot ending sequences for for Bournemouth. Um, and if you sort of rank various metrics around involvement on a player level. Um, he sort of rises to the top alongside you know, the Spurs, the Man City, the Liverpool fullbacks. So he's kind of used to playing in that similar system anyway. I'm lo looking for a team that sort of has a low dependency on crosses, unlike Ben. And he played on a team in, in Bournemouth that had a, a fairly low number of crosses on a you know, per-sequence level. And also he played on a team which were eighth uh, for passes per sequence of play last season. So for me, again, if you look at that ranking, you sort of got the top six teams, Southampton and Bournemouth are, are usually in and around that, that top eight. So in terms of sort of the role I want him to play, where he's you know involved a lot, not crossing so much, and is sort of used to playing in a similar system, I thought Adam Smith was a, a fairly straightforward uh, pick for me at right back. Yeah, he fits really nicely into into the overall way your team wants to play. Yeah. Ben, you've uh, got a lot of dependence on your fullback. Who have you gone for at right back? So yeah, again, um, you know, right back was the was pretty much one of the next positions I looked at. I've gone for Cedric Soares at Southampton, is it? It's Soares or Suarez, I don't Suarez, actually yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Should we go with Cedric? We'll go yeah, with Cedric. yeah, we'll keep it Cedric. Yeah. It might even be what's on the back of his shirt. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, again, just kind of jumped out in terms of what his contribution was to the team. Um, so again, real off a couple of numbers here. He was first in touches per 90 for right backs in the, um, in the Premier League last year. And he had five crosses a game, uh, which so you know combination of the creativity you get from uh, from Van Arnold on one side, 
and uh, Cedric Suarez or Soares <laughs> on the right hand side. I guess to add to that, um, from looking at the, the sequence level data, uh, Southampton were the sort of the most cross-heavy team in the Premier League last year. Yeah. So again, for that system, he, he fits quite nicely. Yeah, definitely. And you know, just on the crosses, you know, he was sixth in accuracy as well, thirty uh, percent accuracy, and had thirty percent of the team's crosses. Um, so obviously, again, trying to fit into my style of, of putting a lot of dependency on my two fullbacks to get crosses in the box. Uh, he's obviously used to that high volume and being that responsible for that within uh, Southampton. So, but then on the defensive side, he was also second in in number of tackles, uh, second in recoveries, and fifth in the number of duels. So his involvement defensively was very high as well. I think from the sort of the stats you've given about those fullbacks, you can see how how important they were to your team and just how sort of yeah how central they'll be essentially to to the way you want to play yeah and it goes back to that that thing we we started with which is you know understanding your philosophy understanding what's important for the managers and, and actually you know uh, certainly um th- th- at least three of the clubs i worked at um if you look at the fullbacks that that we had at those clubs they were essential um to what we were trying to do so people like chris gunter kieran trippier even back to Everton, you know, Leighton Baines, people like that. Your fullbacks were very, very central to getting the output from the team, and and that's kind of part of the philosophy that I've I've taken with me really. Perfect. And your two your two centre halves. My two centre halves. So these were towards the end of my um, process, I guess. Um, I'd looked at them at different periods because I was trying to decide whether to go for the um, playing out style fullbacks or whether to go for the the real kind of what a lot of football people say head it and kick it type centre-halves which is what I've ended up going <laughs> for uh, and that's not a disparity to those guys I think you know there is a huge place for those and those types of defenders and actually there are very short supply now of, of guys who really just can go and block everything and head everything um, so so I went for uh, Steve Cook at Bournemouth played 100% of Bournemouth's minutes last year so again from that durability standpoint uh, I think it'd probably be be between him and uh, Tom Heaton for the captaincy as well nice. in terms of leadership roles he was in a team and actually uh, so I'll say my second one was as well because there's a bit of a correlation here between the two I went for a Bonner at West Ham now interestingly I looked at Bournemouth and West Ham were 5th and 6th respectively in the number of goals conceded last year so you know down the bottom of the table in terms of conceding goals but what I found interesting was that these two centre-halves were contributing a hell of a lot to to the defensive effort that these teams had. Um, so, you know, Steve Cook was first in number of recoveries, fifth in number of aerials with a 66% success rate, which was above the league average, was 15th in duels per 90. So a player who was heavily involved defensively. And again, with Ogbonna, he was fifth in aerial duel percentage, eighth in duel percentage. So two players who were heavily involved defensively for their teams and getting a lot of volume of work. And it goes back to that argument, similar to what we were talking about goalkeepers, where you look at centre-backs like that and you say in a team where they're not under as much pressure, if they can have that same level of consistency, that same level of success, winning duels, winning aerial duels, but in a better team, are, do they become a real you know, a solid part of that. And, you know, Ogbonna is a player who's playing for Italy and has, has played for, you know, top CRR team. So that was the, the philosophy, as I say, m- more towards the end of my process. But I think 
it's stacked up in terms of being real defenders first and, and that being the most important thing. Yeah, again, you can see that what they're good at is exactly what you need them to be good at, yeah. so that fits in quite nicely. Tom, your, uh, your centre-back centre pairing. Cool. So for my left centre-back, I've gone for Alfie Mawson from Swansea. Young, again, sort of you know forward-thinking. He's a, a decent threat from set plays. Uh, and again, going along from the data and also what we saw at the European Championships this season with the England under-21s, he was a... Uh, sort of a, a constant fixture in when they you know put the ball in the box he was usually the one that they try to get on the end of it he's a fairly accurate passer just outside his own box so again I'm looking to play this build up style and it's something he's been fairly used to with his time at Swansea last season he played on a team that was kind of hard to move directly towards uh, the goal of so essentially for Swansea last year uh, you know it's tough to you know run directly or move quickly towards their goal he's also played at several different levels over a few years so he's got that sort of durability uh an experience from a, a non-data perspective but yeah I was fairly again fairly happy with with Mawson um, and then right centre back Michael Keane so from what I can see he's a, a fairly decent long passer and obviously last year Burnley were a fairly high long ball team they were they're trying to be quite direct and with the sort of attacking trio and the style of player I want to have having someone who's used to pinging long balls and, and can be fairly accurate with those long balls is going to be important what's different from my team compared to the one he's playing in is that he was pumping the ball up to Sam Vokes, you know, a target striker. Uh, whereas in this team, it's hopefully going to be passes that are in behind into space. So that's something that you know we've we haven't seen he's able to do that specific job, but he can do facets of that uh, of that role quite well. And also, like Ben said previously with Tom Heaton, he's played on a team that faced a lot of shots, uh, you know, a lot of pressure. So you know, he's fairly used to to blocking the ball or sort of uh, defending quite deep in a, a low block of sorts. So I thought those two combined, hopefully with full backs that work up and down the touchline should be a fairly decent uh, back four and then with Pickford a, a back five. Interesting that you know Michael Keane obviously going to a, a much more possession based team this year uh, at Everton and um, seeing what he's capable of doing in that obviously he's, his career history tells you that he will have been brought up in that philosophy at Manchester United uh, and certainly when I saw him play for United's youth teams he was a, a very very good passer and uh, very capable of finding pockets and, and playing into midfielders so it'll be interesting to see whether that comes back out of him a little bit um, yeah. at Everton and, and now obviously with his ability to play long balls into channels and uh, which he's done very well at Burnley for the last couple of years so um, yeah very supportive of your Michael Keane <laughs> <laughs> suspected you might be we're going to take a, a quick break and then we're going to come back and look at both Ben and Tom's uh, central midfielders Welcome back to Three at the Back. We're now on to, uh, to looking at our two central midfield players. Both teams as a, as a 4-2-3-1 formation. So Ben, do you want to uh, share who you've got um, as your two there? Yeah, so my two central midfielders, particularly my number six, my sort of deep-lying centre midfield player, was a really key position again for me. Uh, it was probably the, with the full-backs, it was the, the position I looked at the most um, in terms of securing that position. And... Again, from my two centre midfielders, I'm looking for two different things from them and uh, to play in a different way in and out of possession. So I want one midfielder who is there to sit in front of the back four when we're in possession. So he's he's distributing a lot. He's getting on the ball, moving it quickly, moving it forward quickly. Um, but he's generally the one that's going to be breaking up play in transition. So he's going to do a lot of defensive work. My other centre midfielder is number eight, who's more kind of box to box, but needs to come in and sit and defend when when the team has got possession. 
uh, and obviously with a sort of number 10 playing ahead of him which we'll get on to so my number 6 really key position for me was Morgan Schneiderlin so obviously didn't play a lot for United in the first half of the season if at all but went on to Everton and played 17 games uh, and had a huge impact uh, so he was 7th in touches per game and 6th in passes attempted for uh, central midfield players um, so I included kind of deep defensive centre midfielders and, and sort of your typical centre midfielders in a two um, in that group I assume with Morgan Schneiderlin you'd make sure he doesn't wear number two though <laughs> yeah I certainly would that <laughs> did not make any sense but he he also had a 90% pass accuracy which again you know uh, he was passing forward uh, 63% at the time so although you know that passing accuracy stat is very badly used a lot of the time as a uh, as a stat because we don't know what he's done with the ball we don't know where he's moved it but I always look at the pass accuracy alongside how much is he playing forward particularly in that position and to be playing forward over 60% of the time is um, is certainly very good for a central midfield player again I was also looking for uh, you know if with our full backs bombing along the lines uh, and being able to pin it into a, uh, a target striker I was also looking for someone who had long pass accuracy good long pass accuracy and his was 75% which was ninth in the league and then from the defensive side obviously um, kind of high volume of defending and, and he certainly had that last year so he was 4th in interceptions 10th in aerials and 14th in recoveries for central midfielders so really kind of all action type midfielder which I think um, you know Morgan Schneiderman certainly is and uh, what I'll be really interested to see this year with Everton obviously a club that is a bit close to my heart historically as well I'm really interested to see with all the new signings that are coming in with all these players Michael Keane Jordan Pickford uh, Sandro Wayne Rooney Wayne Rooney you know does Morgan Schneiderlin become one of those Gareth Barry type players that Everton have had the last few years who kind of drifts into the background but it's so key to what they do and, and is really fundamental to, to the core of that team. And I really expect him to be that. Uh, it was actually, a, it wasn't too close when you looked at the passing data, but certainly from a uh, defensive side of the game, obviously Adrissa Gay, who's also at Everton, was also close in that list. Um, my number eight is Etienne Capu. And that isn't just because he scored a load of goals at the start of the season, <laughs> uh, which is obviously uh, one way you could have gone. But Capu, you know, a player who uh, didn't play a lot uh, at Spurs and then went to Watford and, and has done really well so he played 94% of Watford's minutes for a centre midfielder which is very impressive and was actually second to Darren Fletcher in that number so you know another player you wouldn't have necessarily expected to have had the longevity last year and the, the consistency that, that he had so those two players yeah I think he's an excellent signing for Stoke uh, yeah absolutely he had 17% of uh, Watford's goals from midfield and contributed 15% of their chances. So, again, box to box, getting goals, but also uh, creating chances. His passing stats were slightly below average. Um, his passing data across, uh, not only overall, but in the opposition half in the final third was low. But the fact he's contributing goals, the fact he's contributing chances created, and this is a challenge that everyone has. You can't pick the best player in every position when you're at a club. You, that's just not possible. So you have to you have to balance some things that you want him to do really well against things that he doesn't do as well. You know, we can't all have Barcelona's team or Real Madrid's team. So you have to pick the things that are really important. And again, you know, in in general defensive uh, stuff as well, he was kind of in the top twenty in most of the defensive categories. 
Um, so uh, one of the other things that actually really stood out was that he has around two take-ons per game. So for that player who's really driving you forward in midfield, who's that guy who's going box to box, if he's really kind of driving through midfield on a regular basis, that was a, a big key attribute for me. Yeah, it's quite rare you get a central midfield player that, that takes the ball onto feet all the, with feet with feet all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, and obviously from a physical standpoint, Kapu's a, a big, powerful guy in midfield who. Um, certainly in today's Premier League, where you've got a lot of those types of players, and it's a real, you know, battle uh, a lot of the time in midfield, um, he would be able to stand up to that. Yeah, that's a, that's a strong midfield too, and they both be able to cover a lot of ground there. Sweet. Tom, your midfield too, please. Similarly to Ben, I've gone with sort of a, a number six and a number eight. My number six is Oreo Romeo at Southampton. So Romeo had fairly active defensive numbers, averaging sort of over six tackles and interceptions per ninety. Again, these aren't the most uh, robust defensive statistics, but they, uh, you know, he's stuck out in that filtering. He also was involved quite a lot in shot-ending sequences again. Uh, Southampton, um, similar number to Stephen Davis. Shot-ending sequences. Sorry, can you talk us through that? Yeah, of course. Um, so, shot-ending sequence is any sort of phase of play where there's been sort of several passes, and then the the play is ended in a shot. Sorry, a sequence is ended in a shot. Uh, sequences can end in the ball going out of play, player being tackled, a foul, a shot, things like that. So these shining sequences are of note because we want to understand sort of who's involved in the build-up to these chances. He was involved a very similar amount to Stephen Davis, who I, I could have picked, but he was sort of the more defensive option of the two, so therefore that made sense to me. Also, on Southampton, they uh, sort of allowed the opponent to attack them at quite a slow speed, which is going to be quite useful for... You know, if this is a fairly fast-moving, uh, again non-rigid team, we want to have someone who's used to playing in a in a system that slows the opposition down, um, and they also allowed sort of low progress towards their goal. So I think on the on the defensive side of the ball, I was fairly happy with him. His, his passing numbers were okay, but it was just sort of you know he's played a similar role at Southampton. He can do he can do the same for my team. Uh, in my number eight position, uh, I wanted Yohan Kabai. Yohan Kabai, again, another uh, set-piece option. He sort of took a low number of shots as well, so this is something where uh, I don't want Romeo and Kabai sort of using up the ball that often. I want that to be uh, the job of sort of the front four. I mean, Kabai, again, going for experience, would probably be captaincy material if we're sort of a, a criteria to fill. And his sort of open-play passing numbers look quite dangerous, quite useful, so in, in terms of expected assists... He ranked you know, fairly highly for central midfielders. Nothing that, that stuck out particularly well, but um, yeah, he has Premier League pedigree um, and I could sort of see him sitting in that too alongside Romeo. Excellent. Thank you very much. So now we've got the, the three players in, fr- in front of these two midfielders and I know both of you have sort of selected them as a unit rather than in isolation. So um, we'll do three at a time. Tom, if you'd like to, to share your three first. Cool. So on the sort of left side of this uh, midfield trio, um, I've gone for Marko Anatovic. Anatovic is a, a sort of favourite of mine. He seems quite undervalued in general. Um, so he was 13th. Not by West Ham. <laughs> Not by West Ham, no, exactly. Um, so he was 13th in the league last year for um, his combination of expected goals and expected assists uh, on a per 90 basis. So essentially meaning he was a, a fairly decent threat in terms of chance creation, but also um, sort of chance generation for himself and, and getting decent quality shots away. He's in sort of a, a nice age for an attacker, so he's, he's currently 28 years old. Um, if we're talking about sort of peak years, he may be sliding towards the the sort of uh, older 
side of his career and maybe uh, you know his best years might be behind him but I think that you know 28 is still at a decent age and he played on a fairly low cross-dependent side last year in Stoke City um, which is again important because the, the philosophy I want to play is a team that isn't dependent you know on crosses that much he's also on, on a Stoke team that was very direct and, and good at moving fast towards the opponent's goal at speed which is again is, is something I, I want in this team so I was fairly uh, fairly happy to make the space for Marco Onortovic. I had to shift Joel out of midfield in an, an earlier draft of this team to get him in there. So, um, yeah, big fan. On the right side of this mid- midfield, I've gone for Riyad Mahrez. Riyad Mahrez, the PFA Player of the Year in 2015-2016, um, wasn't as effective last season, but his, again, looking at sort of expected goals and expected assists per 90, um, he had the same output as Mesut Ozil, uh, which might surprise some people, but actually, you know, underlying numbers, he looked he looked decent. He's 26 years old, so again, we're talking a good age. He's coming into sort of the prime of his prime of his career. For me, he was the best Leicester player available and sort of fit this system quite nicely. We all know Leicester played a very attacking, direct uh, style of play when they won the league. They did that maybe to a bit of a lesser extent last year, but he's still. You know he's playing. He has experience of playing in that style that I want this. You know this team to play, and yeah, a sort of in terms of you know take ons and, and chance generation. I was just a big fan of Mares, so happy to stick him on the right side of, of the the midfield three and and let him do his thing. Finally, to sort of be in that number ten role, someone who's quite young, maybe a bit unproven, but um, has shown flashes, as, as some may say, of sort of uh, you know good quality play. Uh, is Manuel Lanzini at West Ham? So again, played sort of. 30 games last year, so fairly durable. Uh, he was involved a lot in their build-up, in, in shot-ending sequences, and he was okay in terms of sort of expected goals and expected assists, which is sort of the, the main way that I uh, look to measure these guys. For, an, for a player outside the top six on a team that probably wasn't the most threatening attacking-wise. And he's one of these players who I think that in a better system could potentially you know flourish quite well. So I think having these players alongside him, and obviously this year he'll be playing alongside Onatovic, we'll be able to see to some extent how his how his game changes. Um, so yeah, my my attacking three are uh, Anatovic, Lanzini in the middle, and Mares on the right side. I like that. And Ben, your uh, your three players in this position. Yeah, well, we've got some crossover there. So I also went for Anatovic and Mares. I was fighting the Anatovic pick throughout this process, primarily because I knew Tom was definitely going to pick him, <laughs> um, just for his you know slightly over the top love for for Anatovic. Um, but you know, from my system, uh, and, and this really does hark back to the, the manager philosophies that I worked under, um, where your two wide players work out in, uh, and their their focus is on playing inside, creating inside, and, and being around the box. And when we get onto my centre forward, you know, did score goals, um, but the focus for him was around link up play. So you want your uh, wide players or your number ten to be getting in the box and also be um, you know uh, very involved in chance uh, quality and creation and, and and hopefully scoring. So I mean a couple of things that I picked out particularly for Mares and Arnautovic were their number of touches in the box. Um, so uh, Arnautovic was fifth in in wide players and attacking midfield players uh, in touches in the box and Mares was fourteenth. Um, so having those two players go beyond the striker and being really involved in uh, in, in and around the box was really important for me. I think Tom mentioned again, you know, uh, Arnautovic's involvement in Stoke's play, attacking play last year was really high. 21% of their chances, 26% of their assists, uh, 19% of their goals. Uh, but he actually scored 
two goals um, less than expected based on, on XG. Um, so again, you look at a player going into um, maybe a different role at West Ham, may, it'll be interesting to look at his XG over a number of years and see whether it starts to level off. Um, and Mares, you know, someone who you know we know his quality. We know he's being touted around a lot at the moment to maybe move on from Leicester. And he was ninth in crosses in the league. He was eighth in shots, um, and he was six. He had around six take-ons per ninety, uh, which very high volume uh, of uh, attacking play from from Mares. So yeah, he was two players very kind of uh, easy to select actually in those wide positions because of what I wanted them to do. And then my number 10, again, was probably more towards the end of what I was looking at in the process, um, was Gaston Ramirez from, from Middlesbrough. So Gaston Ramirez is one of those players who has bounced around a lot, has played for a number of teams over the last few years, but keeps getting back into the Premier League teams. And there's a reason for that, um, because he, he can be very effective. Now, he only played 45% of the minutes last year, so probably wasn't involved as much as you'd want him to be. But 22% of his touches were in the opposition box. So a player that's getting really heavily involved in and around the box. Um, he had 20% of Boris shots when he was on the field. Um, created 27% of their chances. So really, in the minutes that he played, he played just over 1,500 minutes last year. You know, He was heavily involved uh, in, in their attacking play. Um, the number that actually really jumped out at me that surprised me was the number of recoveries per 90. And, he was seventh in the league in attacking midfield and wide players in recoveries per 90. So a player that maybe at times has been suggested to not have been involved defensively as much as he needed to be, that certainly was a number that stood out to suggest that he has got that in him. Um, and, and for a number 10, you know, there's a lot of focus on his attacking play and, and, and the role that that uh, position requires. But actually a lot of managers now um, we've seen high-profile decisions made around attacking midfield players. You know, Juan Mata was accused of not being uh, defensive enough, um, playing in that ten role historically at Chelsea. Maybe, you know, it's actually a really key defensive position for pressing and recovering possession. So uh, that was a, a stat that surprised me for Ramirez, but was something that kind of helped him get in, in, the, in at the end of my team. Yeah, I suppose especially with so many teams now having that deep line midfielder as the man that sort of starts playing that sort of things to have your your number 10 able to combat that must must be a huge asset yeah definitely interesting to see that the first crossover there as well um, centre forwards so Ben obviously you spoke a lot about your team strategy and what you want your team to do and how you want your centre forward to play so who have you gone for so uh, again just based on what I wanted my centre forward to do it, it really didn't take me long to figure out who I wanted to have uh, as a Lorente from Swansea and the most obvious number that jumped out in this was that 69% of his shots were headed last year. So for, for a team that is you know, going to be throwing the ball into the box from wide areas, you've got a guy who's not afraid of heading the ball. And he, that was first in, in sort of percentage for, for centre-forwards in the Premier League last year. But as I said, I also want him to be very involved in play. He was sixth in touches in the opposition box per 90, around five a game, so nearly six a game. Was third in passes received, so very heavily involved. Um, and he was sixth in touches, so really heavily involved in that uh, centre forward position, able to pick up play, link play, and obviously with Arnautovic and Mares and Ramirez going beyond him, you know that was that was really key. 
He was eighth in aerial duel percentage, so not only can he head it in the box, but he can also head it around uh, if the ball's uh, thrown up to him. He had uh, the third best shot conversion rate uh, in, the, in the Premier League last year at 27-28%, uh, uh, with the average at 11%. So obviously when he gets best, his chances... Best hope that stays up. <laughs> exactly, yeah, when he, when he gets his chances. Um, and he was third in goals above average. Um, he had a 7 XG, um, but scored 14 goals last year. So possibly performed well above what we'd expect him to do, and maybe that isn't going to happen again next year. But it would be interesting to see, certainly on last season's performance, you'd take that. Nice to have a World Cup winner in there as well. Absolutely. Tom, who's you leading your line? For me, this choice was fairly straightforward, and I sort of, he was one of the first players that I left the space for, so I've gone for Bromelu Lukaku. You know, Ben's talking about a player that's over, you know, outperformed his expected goals, that was only over one season, which I put sort of less stock in. Uh, Lukaku's overperformed. Um, over his sort of three season total he's got 53 goals and we'd expect him to score about 46 so there's sort of a, a healthy overperformance there that's uh, sort of yeah over the over those seasons we've seen carry on he's had really high minutes the last three seasons so he's you know he's really durable um, from watching him you can see he's you know he's very athletic he's very strong um, and he'll fit in nicely with sort of the the three that I've got behind that are, are also a nice mix of, of pace as well um, He's a fairly low expected assist number, so in terms of build-up, he's maybe not making the most sort of uh, progressive passes, but he is he is involved in build-up, or has been uh, historically. And he was sort of a toss-up between him and maybe Christian Benteke, but Benteke was uh, involved a lot less uh, in terms of sort of creating threatening passes. So I thought, you know, if I can get a guy who can get on the end of chances, but also maybe uh, interact with the three behind him a bit more and maybe create chances for them, Lukaku was a, a nice option. You know, furthermore, Everton were the sixth fastest team in the Premier League this season, if we sort of look at speed on a, a sequence level, which for me, going back to the sort of playing philosophy, it fits really nicely with, you know, he's, he's used to a system which promotes pace and uh, attacking at speed uh, with multiple players. So, um, yeah, I was, I was happy with Lukaku and overall sort of happy with the you know the potential combination of him uh, the two wide players and then Lanzini in the middle Nice yeah I think also with Lukaku he, uh, he fits into your, your younger player category as well so yep. you've got a team that's going to going to stick with you for the next few years there Thank you very much guys that was, that was really enjoyed that what we're going to do now we're going to we're going to run through Ben's first I'll read the 11 out and we'll talk a bit about that just um, get Tom's thoughts and then we'll do the same uh, with Tom's team so cool. Ben you went for Tom Heaton in goal um, Van Arnhol and Cedric as your fullbacks with Cook and Agbonna you then had Schneiderlin and Capuzzi midfield too, with Arnautovic, Gaston Ramirez, Riyad Mahrez behind Fernando Llorente. So, uh, Tom, what were, your, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I guess you've gone for a very, very cross-heavy, uh, cross-heavy side here. Is the worry not that you've kind of pinned yourself into a corner, you know, against a team that can defend crosses if you were to face centre backs, maybe similar to your own? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to knowing what position you're in, and I think. Maybe this goes back to the the position the clubs I worked for were in, uh, and maybe that still kind of is is part of my philosophy. Maybe in deciding what you're good at and sticking to that, and picking players and and finding players that fit that certain philosophy. You know, it's no secret to say that Sean Dyche at Burnley knows exactly how his Burnley team wants to play. And the reason they've been successful over the last few years is because every player knows exactly what role they have to play. And you may, you go into every game knowing exactly what Burnley are going to do to some extent, but they've had success. 
so it's it's very easy to say you're one dimensional there's only one way you can play but actually you've still got to stop it um, so I think that probably goes down my thought process of of identifying certain players you know we could go through every one of every one of the players in that list pretty much and say they have significant weaknesses in inverted commas um, from a data perspective from a, a physical perspective from a technical perspective they have significant weaknesses in, in certain areas of their game but the things they do very well were the key to my kind of philosophy so um, and I think again you know going back to the brief of trying to get a team into the top six you know this team that we're building is probably not going to have the biggest budget either and you know that's one of the things you've got to look at with the budget we have again we, we weren't given a, obviously a number we don't have transfer figures but you're looking to fit players in that fulfill certain criteria and that was kind of the key to my uh, thought process really excellent and I'll uh, yeah I'll go to Tom's team now so we have Jordan Pickford in goal Hollabas and Adam Smith as your fullbacks uh, Michael Keane and Alfie Mawson then uh, Johan Kabay and Ariel Romeu, uh, Anatovic, Lanzini, Mares, and Romelu Lukaku up front. I think obviously Romelu Lukaku, no questions there. I think that's a really, really strong person to lead your line. Uh, ben, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this side? Yeah, I mean, my, my first thought, particularly when you finished with Lukaku, was what is the budget of this team? <laughs> <laughs> because Pickford, how much was he? 40 something? 30 was he on, yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, Lukaku. Uh, significantly more than that you throw it on out of it as well you've broken the bank at some point so that was kind of one of my thought processes that obviously you know uh, to break into the top six and this is this is a, a, an actual uh, question that clubs have to ask themselves is to break into the top six do we have to break the bank do we have to buy players for 80 90 million to even achieve top six or can we go the route of um, like I said, kind of picking a philosophy and trying to fit players into it, and it's a and it it's an open question. I think it, it really depends on what situation your club's in and, and what you can achieve. You know, Everton have been trying to get into the top six consistently for the last ten years and have done it at times, but haven't been able to stay in there consistently. And this summer, they've gone and spent to try and achieve the same thing, and 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 that is a question that we're going to have to see how that plays out as to whether them now being able to spend money and being able to sign these players is that going to help them get into the top six and that's an interesting question to have yeah I feel with Everton that sort of from afar you might see that the strategy is that they've sort of traded in what, what would be their, their star or their main player and use that money to then upgrade key positions yeah, within the squad and you know there's the, this whole idea that you're only as strong as your weakest player so if you can sort of raise that, that, be, you know, that yeah. benchmark that baseline you know, a bit higher then maybe you can raise the sort of talent and the, the you know the capability of the overall squad to then break into that top yeah. six yeah and I think with Michael Keane Jordan Pickford uh, Lookman you've got players that have still yeah. got 5, 10, 10, 15 even years left in them so yeah, yeah and I'm certainly not critical at all of what I've done I think they've had an unbelievable summer and they've been incredibly smart about what they've done and the players you know every player they've signed I've said yeah that is a great signing I think what the difference is is that they haven't historically been able to spend that kind of money per player mm. in the way that they've been able to this year and is that a sign of the fact that you have to do that to get into the top six I don't think they've gone and spent money in a way that is um, irresponsible or, or 
un, um, unchecked from a from a process perspective, from a scouting perspective. They know every one of those players inside out. It's just that this year they've been capable of spending the type of money to get those players. Um, but they've still been smart signings, as you said, young players with a lot of potential ahead of them. Potentially enormous resale value on a Pickford and a Keane, even at this, even the money they've spent on this year. So, no, I think that's that was um, certainly very interesting to see how that develops. Back to Tom's team, I think obviously I mentioned the fullbacks would be an interesting, uh, interesting situation from a defence. Yeah, I wondered how much how much help Holabas and Adam Smith will get off Arnautovic and Mares, but um, <laughs> yeah. I suppose you'll have the you'll have the same same issues. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think. Um, the other, the other interesting one was, um, you know, Romeo is a player who, again, has probably gone under the radar. Um, he, he was thrown around from Chelsea to, to Stuttgart last, I think, the year before last. Um, he's been at, on loan at a number of other clubs. Had a period of time at Chelsea where he actually played really well for them, and you know they were obviously able to, in their opinion, you know, upgrade the position of, with Matic and people like that. Um, but I think you know, a really good uh, player there that probably doesn't get the recognition he deserves. There's there's two actually centre midfield players that were on my list of I, I would have liked to have got them in but for other reasons couldn't get them in. One won't surprise either of you two is James Ward Prowse. Yeah. Um, obviously a big fan of James Ward Prowse, but I think he's um, again the last couple of years we're starting to see a lot more of him. Obviously his his involvement in England under twenty ones gives him um, probably more. Uh, of a, there's more of an awareness of him from that maybe than there is of him playing at Southampton but the data again really backed up how well he played um, the one that actually surprised me and probably this comes down to, to me in terms of not uh, recognising his um, ability was um, Milijovic the at, uh, player Palace brought in in, in yeah. the transfer window he was a player who just kept coming up in the data as being someone who um you know, done really well when he'd come in last year, and, and he'll be a really interesting one to watch because he he certainly went under my radar, and, um, and it'll be interesting to see whether he can push on. I'd already decided that Van Arnold was going to be my left back, so my Palace selection had gone. But he's one that you know will be really interesting to see how he gets on uh, next season if he plays a really big part in their team. Yeah, I agree with that, and with Romeo as well. I thought he was excellent for uh, for Southampton last year. Thank you very much, guys. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to. Um, to build your teams and I appreciate that I took a lot of, lot of your time so it really is appreciated um, thank, yeah, thank you for listening as well if you, we'd be interested to hear how you'd approach a team what you do differently what you do the same what you liked what perhaps you, uh, you thought these guys could do better we'd be interested to hear it but um, yeah Tom thank you very much cheers Ryan Ben thank you thanks Ryan thanks for listening